This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. In Swahili, there's no word for warranty. Right. The concept of, I, I will come to fix something when it's broken, just hasn't arrived in language. Wow. So when we arrived three years ago and said, you know, this is a solar system, if it breaks, you can call it, they didn't believe us. Yes, we're in the company of Thomas Duveau from Mobisol, a pioneering solar energy company whose distribution model is transforming the lives of hundreds of people across the developing world. Stay tuned. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, this is episode 19 of the Better Business Show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back to us if you're a regular listener. Um, so yes, as ever, we have a brilliant story for you this week in the form of Mobisol. Um, so we're going to get that to you uh, very shortly. And then we'll have our usual uh, wrap-up of news and uh, an insight from across the, the world of better business with, with Vicky Knowles. And that's coming up a bit later towards the end of the show. So if you'd rather do that before you hear our, our main story, then you can kind of fast forward and then come back to us uh, or do what you want, really. Um, but yeah, thanks for everybody that got in touch about last week's show. Really amazing response to Simon uh, Biltcliffe at Webmart, who is a wonderful guest uh, and loads of great information and insight from him. Uh, as I keep mentioning, we're doing this uh, this downloadable PDF. We're putting this together right now and it will be available from from early next month, uh, where we're going to draw on all the insight and the, the advice and the tips that we've received from all of our guests in the previous uh, 18 shows. Uh, well, it'll be more like 20 shows by the time we actually uh, produce this, but it's going to be a kind of a, a PDF document that you can download and it gives you a, a takeaway of all the, the bits of the nuggets of, uh, of information that you need from the show. Uh, we're calling it the Better Business Show cheat sheet and if you'd like to get your hands on this cheat sheet then all you've got to do is give us your email so if you go over to betterbusiness.show uh, scroll beneath the, the the episodes which are kind of lined up there and you'll see uh, a sim very simple form just give us your email address and you'll get that cheat sheet it's been another busy week uh, i found myself writing and talking a lot about purpose this week uh, i was in london for for a great debate hosted by claremont um, exploring the notion of, of business purpose and there was a huge delegate uh, list of people that were in the room very interested in the subject how do companies find a purpose and then how do they act upon it in a way that creates social environmental and economic value that's that's very much uh, a trendy topic right now in the, the better business world and lots of context so Will Hutton has just put together a, a report called Purposeful Company which offers a series of policy recommendations you've got the UK government now looking at uh, uh, well they're holding a review into into how they can better support companies that are on a mission that have a purpose um, and there's no clear definition of, of as to what constitutes a purpose for any given business and there's plenty of risk attached to poor strategic execution and, and kind of what what Claremont and, and other people are, are, are terming as purpose wash and of course we had all this with with the original kind of CSR agenda uh, but how do companies now look beyond their traditional CSR programs and their tactics and specific initiatives to make it core to every function 
of their organization. Uh, but it's not easy. Um, Claremont have put together this, this great little report, actually, which I highly recommend. It's called Purpose in Practice. And it's a kind of, uh, they interviewed, I think it was about 20 different senior decision makers from across all different sorts of sectors and, and asked them, what, you know, what does purpose mean and, and how can business kind of start to think about um, purpose? And, uh, and the event itself that I was at last week gave some really interesting clues as to what you need to do as a business to really sort of turn the tide. Um, it's very, very difficult to kind of retrofit purpose or mission into, into your business um, into into what you're already doing and all the evidence kind of supports the need to kind of take your time to to listen to everybody in the business uh, and those beyond the business so your customers and suppliers to find out what it means to them rather than just being something that the, the CEO wants to enforce uh, it almost needs you know needs you ripping up your business and almost starting again um, on the panel at this event was Jeff McDonald and he's the the former um, Vice President of, of HR and Marketing at Unilever um, and he was sort of reflecting on his 25 years in the business and um, and, they, and they you know they're on this journey a journey that's started back in 2009 uh, and they're trying to find a different alternative economic model um, to show that you know if you address environment social human issues that kind of creates value for a business then then that is the way forward rather than it being the other way around. Uh, and they're, you know, they're, you know, they're a company that everyone looks to. We know that. Um, everyone talks about Unilever. But they're, they're showing that, you know, they're a big business and they're trying to trying to show that they're kind of living purpose through their through their people and their brands and, and rather than just being the kind of separate CSR function that most companies have, uh, which Jeff said, you know, merely kind of cleanses the conscience and, and wastes lots of money on, on different initiatives that are not actually relevant to creating value for the business and that's basically what it's all about it's about how you can create a purpose uh, that serves beyond shareholders but also returns a decent profit as well and uh, you know and for most companies like Unilever which are you know big they have big legacies they have shareholders to keep happy it's not it's not easy it's not going to be an easy transition um, for the nimble agile startups that we like to feature here on the better business show creating a kind of mission-led business with a clear sense of what it exists to do which is basically create value for all stakeholders rather than just shareholders it's definitely a lot easier and we've seen lots of good examples uh, through the course of this this series of podcasts uh, of companies doing just that and there are some companies that you come across where their purpose and their reason for being is just so clear and magnificent uh, and and that's the company that we're gonna we're gonna meet this week um, Let's meet Thomas Duveau. He's the man charged with creating as much value for the customers of his company, Mobisol. Thomas, thanks for joining us on the, the Better Business Show. Um, really interested to hear your story, the story of Mobisol. Um, so this is a business that sells solar systems to customers in the developing world. And you offer this kind of affordable payment plan so that people can kind of uh, pay using their mobile phone and, and sort of uh, chunk up those payments so it makes it more affordable for them. T tell us how your business works. The, the business started in 2010 when my um, CEO and friend Thomas Gottschalk traveled through East Africa and realized a lot of people don't have electricity. So the reality is 90% of households in rural, say Tanzania or Kenya or Rwanda, do not have electricity. They use kerosene lamps, um, maybe batteries if they're very wealthy, a generator. Mm -hmm. All of these options being 
you know, fairly bad news because it's 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 not what you want to have really. Um, and you know, in Germany, there's a lot, and in Europe generally, there's a lot of solar energy. There's definitely more sun in Tanzania than in Germany. So the question became, how do we put together a small solar home system that would cater for the needs of a typical rural household in Tanzania? And so we, we did a fairly long pilot project and research on the ground trying to find out why hadn't anybody do, done it before. It's such right, a right. such a no-brainer to put a panel on a roof, put a battery in a house, put a bit of electronics to link the two. And we figured out that um, affordability was obviously um, uh, you know, a challenge because people would not typically have the lump sum to pay a system cash. Mm-hmm. So nobody, very few people have $500 lying around um, in their households in Tanzania. On the other side, you have this very developed mobile payment system where you can basically use a very simple SMS-like function to wire money from one a mobile phone to the other, which doesn't exist in our parts of the world, but which is very prevalent in Tanzania. Okay, um, okay. So we basically combined the solar element, which you know, as German engineers we knew about, with the existing technology on the ground, and we made it a system which you can repay in 36 months. So you pay in installments, kind of a small leasing, um, and that's the kind of thing that actually works really well because people enjoy having electricity and they don't pay more than what they typically did uh, pay before when they went to the kerosene or a diesel dealer. So the normal situation for a household in Tanzania is three kerosene lights and to run these kerosene lights for four hours a day, you need approximately half a liter of kerosene per day. Um, kerosene liter is about a dollar a day. So you spend 50 cents every day. You bring 50 cents to a kerosene dealer for exactly the same price. What we do, we bring in a solar system. So we put a panel on your roof. We bring a battery. Uh, we bring you LED lights, which are much brighter and much nicer. Um, we bring a machine that recharges mobile phones. We bring a radio and a TV. So for the same money, you get a much better value proposition, um, and which is why customers, you know, switch without thinking about it because it's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, so you're currently working in in three countries, are you? We're working in Tanzania um, and Rwanda, and we're current as we speak. We're opening an office in Kenya. Uh, and, and Thomas, what what sort of systems are you installing? How, how actually how big are they? So the the system most of our competitors um, do really small system which. Um, substitute the kerosene lights and we decided from very early on to go with larger systems so on average our system would be 100 watts which for European standards is very very small but when you combine that with efficient appliances and you know the TVs today are much more efficient than 10 years ago you can actually provide 100% of the electricity needs of a household so one of our claims is basically that real electrification is more than three lights uh, which is, you know, just listening to your customers. If you ask them what you want, they will say, we want light, but we want all the rest of things. So, you know, people start wanting irons, fans, fridges, and these things can only be run on a larger solar home system, which is what we provide. Yeah. So so, so paint the picture for us in, in somewhere like uh, at Tanzania. Just, I mean, just how big a problem is this lack of affordable energy? Um it, and, and also, what you know? What's the biggest problem that you're helping to overcome? Is it the, is it the lack of infrastructure? Is it the lack of sort of knowledge? Is it a lack of finance? What 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 does it look like in some of these places? 
So I'm, I'm thinking um, the village where I live when I'm in Tanzania, it's a village which is six kilometers away from Arusha. Arusha is one of the main towns in, in Tanzania, third biggest town, 400,000 people. And when you live six kilometers away from Arusha, you do not have electricity. So the reality is there's not a grid pole in, in you know, a, a mild, you know, radius. And the, the reality is the whole village goes dark at night. So the one or other person might have a generator, which is not nice either because it's loud and stinks, so you don't want to run the generator all night. And the reality is there's four to 5,000 people living in that village. And so it's a large village. The houses are made of, of, of bricks and it's corrugated roofs. There's people who have a certain you know amount of money, but they don't have electricity. So I think the, the main thing that we cater for is the basic need. Everybody wants electricity. You can ask 1,000 households, do you want electricity? You'll get 1,000, yes. And since the grid doesn't seem to be coming, um, we basically kind of leapfrog an old infrastructure, which was linked to poles and grids, uh, with a technology which is readily available. And since we make it um, financeable through the installment of 36 months, we also make it you know, um, accessible for people. So we combine a technology which is a very robust technology. You know, solar has been around for 50 years. It's not something which, which was invented yesterday. It's very, very stable. And if you bring the financing with it, you basically give access to something that every household needs in a very simple manner. Yeah. And, and, and so how many systems have you installed so far? We've installed 45,000 systems to date. Um, okay. But the growth is very, very strong. So 2013, we installed 2,000 systems. 2014, it was 10,000. Last year, we did 25,000. And this year, we were set to, you know, 50, 60, whatever thousand it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and that's basically the, the, the main question for us. We've proven that, you know, we went to a certain scale. Um, we, we have, I think, 19 or 20 African countries which have asked us to basically come to their country to provide them a resource system. And, and the question is, how do you grow in 20 countries in parallel? You know, is it feasible? What mm. do you need to take care of in order to not, you know, to not lose this 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 very specific thing that that we seem to be doing, which is provide great service in the last mile? The reality of people is they don't have access to quality products in rural Tanzania. Right. You got stuff you can buy on the market. It's typically not great quality. It doesn't come with a warranty. We have a three-year warranty, so we have you know a whole infrastructure on the ground with. Well, we saw people running around in yellow T-shirts, which is our corporate brand, right? Who will repair the system if the system breaks? That's something that that didn't exist um, before that. And, and interestingly, I find um, in Swahili, which is the the language in Tanzania, the main language, there's no word for warranty. So right. The concept of I I will come to fix something when it's broken. That hasn't arrived in language. Wow. So when we arrived three years ago and said, you know, guys, this is a solar system. If it breaks, you can call us. They didn't believe us. Sure. So you have to you have to stick with it and say, look, you know, you don't believe me. It's fine, but we'll do it anyway. And since we've been doing it for three years, we developed something like a, I think in our part of the world, we'd say brand, but it's reputation. People yeah. have a positive association when they hear a movie solar. They say, oh, yeah, you know, the guys in the yellow t-shirts, they're coming. If it's broken, they come. Yeah. And, and typically it doesn't break, which is the good news. 
yeah, yeah. And and so how how do you kind of reach new customers? Presumably, if if you're living in in a village in in Tanzania and your neighbour has just had a Mobisol system installed, and you know you'd want one as well. How, how do you how do they get in touch with you? Can they use the same SMS uh, technology to do that? Um, I think you should become our sales director because that's exactly the the what happens is people recommend to their neighbours. So we didn't invent that. It's just that people in villages, you know, they, you always have the first movers who will go for a technology that's not known. And after about six months, the neighbor will have looked at his at his, his neighbor's house for six months and he will see light every day. And he will be like, okay, it works, it's stable, I can afford it. And if I can afford it, I want it as well. So we give our customers kind of a little premium, a little thank you. Yeah. around ten dollars and say look, if you recommend a neighbor if you're willing to put your reputation as a villager on the table because you like my product i will say thank you to you and i will bring you know the system to um your neighbor which is great because you know that's when you kind of become viral and when you right. become viral you know in terms of marketing and sales you must have done something right yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's a wonderful video on your website which kind of tries to give a flavour as to the impact your business is able to have on, on you know, people living in villages in, in places like Tanzania. Um, you know, people switching on lights, that means that kids can do their homework, people using mm-hmm. computers to connect with the world and TVs, which is, you know, gives all that insight and knowledge. Um, I mean, is it is it hard for you as a business to quantify what sort of positive impact you're actually having? Because presumably you're changing, I mean, you're literally changing the lives of these people. Um, which is, you know, something which is qualitative in nature. So the the kind of magic of light, and that's what our customers say. Again, it's not a marketing word for movie source. People say, that, you know, something which is, I've never thought about click the switch and all oh, there's electricity because I've never experienced a world without electricity. The reality is 99% of our customers, is they have not had light before. So, you know, what is it? It's probably our grandparents who, who had this experience in our part of the world, and it's profoundly changing the dynamics of, of, of how you do things because kids will not study at night with a kerosene lamp. They will, you will have the possibility to, to listen to the radio, you can watch TV, you can recharge mobile phones, which, for example, means you don't need to walk. So mobile phone charging is approximately half to a whole day a week for people who have a mobile phone simply because they need to walk to the next village. Right. Spend time there, idle time that they're not going to you know, use for anything else, and then walk back to the village. Yeah. You have that in-house, you have a day which is freed. So that's one type of impact. The other one is obviously you have some some CO2, so carbon emission mitigation, because you don't need to use fossil fuels, kerosene, and diesel anymore. So um, it's half a ton per system per year, which doesn't sound a lot, but, you know, a <laughs> car in our part of the world is two tons a year, so... Every four systems of what we sold is one car in the UK or in Germany, which is it's kind of profound when you get to numbers. Yeah. Um, and then, and I think that's the major, major point. A third of our customers use the Mobisol system to actually run a small business. Yeah. A small business will be most, uh, most often um, the recharging of the mobile phones of their neighbors. But people can also run a small barbershop. So we deliver, you know, these, these hair clippers that run on solar. More people will have a little village cinema. So very simply, you plug a projector on a movie hall system, wow. and you find a wall somewhere in a village, and you show a movie. 
yeah. um, or a football match. You know, so you know people love to watch the, the, the English Premier League, and Brilliant. people do watch that in in Rwanda and Tanzania. And you know the the, the the beauty of the magic of a moving image for people who've never seen that before, <laughs> or maybe only on a small screen. That's the type of thing which is it's completely beyond the scope of of what we imagined in our wildest dreams in the beginning. So you know it, we're not in control at all, and we don't want to be of the of the of what it changes in people's lives. And the the great thing is once you've started establishing a relationship with a the customer, they will come back to you and say, look. I want a larger TV, I want a fridge, I want this, I want that. So we don't do business development. They come to us yeah. and say, can you bring this? Does it work on solar? And we will say yes or no, depending on what, what they want. And so it's a lot of, you know, in, I think the modern word would be customer-centric experience management or whatever, or product development. And it's just listening to people. What do you want? And I'll bring it to you if I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, presumably in terms of a kind of business development um mode for, for you guys uh how much of it is about educating people to kind of wean themselves off of what they've always done i guess it's the same in when you when you uh introduce farmer training in terms of kind of smallholder farmers and encouraging them to do things differently to improve their yields it's kind of they've always they've you know they've always used kerosene they've always paid the same amount for it you're trying to shift them to something brand new and i guess people are quite worried about that are they um not that I'm aware of, simply because so they might be wary in the beginning about electricity in general, because the reality is if you have grid access in Tanzania, you will have experienced, you know, when you when you get this, this electricity shock, what is it called in, in English? You know, when you get like a when yeah, you the, touch the, a wire and the, the, the yes, electric shock, yes. Like you say, and and that's the, so, but that doesn't happen with solar energy because it's 12 volts, so it's low voltage electricity. So you know, p- people don't need to be convinced. You don't need to educate somebody to switch from kerosene to something else. Kerosene is only bad news. Generator is only bad news. Mm. If you bring them something which, you know, it's like, how long does it take to train a person to to switch on and off the light? You know, it's, it's, it, you do it once, you've got it. Yeah, so there's yeah, no yeah. training required, and the use of appliances, you know, radio. Everybody has a mobile phone anyway. So That's true. They're, they're, you know, our customers are much more savvy. They're not like you know. There's a misconception that people living in the last mile in in Africa, some kind of, you know, like need a training to to. No, they're perfectly. Um, they they want to be part of a certain modernity, and without kilowatt hours, without electricity, they can't. Yeah. So as soon as you give them kilowatt hours, they will be so proficient at running a business and at making the best use of this electricity for them and their families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another brilliant video of yours that explains how you're starting to pilot the use of drone technology to deliver your your systems to remote parts of the world. Uh, this, I mean, look, the the video looks brilliant and this sounds like a great idea. Tell us, tell us what you're doing. Um, that's really, you know, it's kind of a blue sky research project. We have a lot of engineers and most of them German engineers so German engineers like to develop machines and like to think about solving problems a lot mm-hmm. so um, then it started with the everyday realization that traffic and roads and infrastructure in terms of transport in Tanzania is suboptimal it's not fun to drive it's not fun to 
drive in the rainy season in particular. Right. And every single time you need to go to a customer who might live in a very remote area, it's expensive as well. So, you know, drones are readily available in, uh, in, in terms of a technology. It's a pretty, pretty mature thing. And it's a question we have. So our question is, can we, with the use of drones that would be recharged on the roof of customers who have a movie source system, yeah. can we establish a network over countries or regions that would allow for over-the-air delivery. So obviously small items, think of DHL, post office type of thing. Yeah. You know. And the, the main question seems to be in terms of drone technology today is how long does this thing fly? It doesn't fly for longer than say 30 minutes and then mm. you need to recharge it. And I think we try to combine that with the other question which is how can our customers earn money with their mobile source systems? They yeah. can use it for their household, just as is. But if they made like little, you know, remote charging station on their roofs, they probably wouldn't notice whether a drone had landed or not, because it's you know, a small machine. And um, and then they would maybe, you know, earn five cents a pop when or ten cents when a drone recharges electricity. So it's a pilot project, it's very early stage. It's kind of a of a play around with the technology to understand whether you can leapfrog something which is not efficient yeah so just sure. as we leapfrog the grid in terms of electricity because we bring off-grid solar home systems to people just as mobile payments have leapfrogged the classical banking system we ask the question can we with drones leapfrog the other you know suboptimal infrastructure which is which is roads so we don't know the answer yet but mm. you know looking at it and talking to your customers and trying to figure out without knowing the answer before. And I think that's one yeah. of the major, well, that's one of the things that we, we're good at and that we enjoy a lot. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, yeah, the potential for that is uh, is could be huge. And it's, it'd be interesting to see whether that takes off, uh, literally. Um, I know that also data is, is important to your business. Obviously, lots of systems now, 45,000 systems, and you're collecting a whole load of data, aren't you? Uh, what, what are you trying to find out with that data? I know you use it to kind of service systems that might need servicing, but what else do you, do you use the data for? So the, the, the data, the idea is we have, a, we have a business model which includes, you know, we need to, to ship things from Germany to Africa. We need to ship them from a port to a regional hub. We need to install it at a customer. We need to, so we have a, a lot of processes which very early on we decided to do electronically because we don't want, you know, I don't want cash transaction. I don't want any cash in Mobisol. I want only mobile payment. I don't want any paperwork. If I can yeah. avoid paper, I can put it electronically from the very beginning. Yeah. I will have a much more efficient running of the company, which is why we did this data backend, which collects information from where is the shipment of batteries from China to Africa? Where is the truck on the road? How many systems are installed at customers? How many maintenance cases did I have? How many salespeople are selling how much every day and all these things? So we did it only to be efficient, to, to be able to scale. If you don't if you have paper, you will never scale. So that was you know phase one. And then phase two, things started last year and we realized, oh my God, we have so much data on you know what 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 describes a customer. The typical customer of Mobitool had never had a digital presence before. Right. So he's not known, he's not perceived as part of the market, he's not perceived as, as a potential customer because people think he's black, poor, and living in off-grid. 
Tanzania, so he can't be interesting. Well, you know, think again. Because, you know, a lot of people in rural areas do have multiple streams of income and want a lot of things. And because they were never perceived or seen, they were not served. Right. And as we start describing a customer in his, you know, physically where does he live, uh, you know, what's the picture of his house, um, and we see the energy use and we see the repayment um, pattern, we can give customers something which would be akin to a credit score. Sure, and with yeah. that, the customer can go to a bank and say, hey, Mr. Bank, I want, you know, access to a loan. I will give you the movie sold system as a collateral. Um, so, uh, it, you know, lots of things which actually can be enabled just by looking at data which we have collected over time. And again, you know, we didn't think three years ago, we didn't know that today we would be sitting on something that people call the gold mine simply because we can give the customer the ability to describe himself or herself and her wishes and wants. And with that, we can relay that to, to other companies which m might want to serve our customers. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and, and Thomas, you mentioned it earlier. So, I mean, customer service is a, is a big thing for, for Mobisol. Um, so you, you go in and you kind of service the systems and keep them, keep them going. Who actually carries out that, that kind of servicing um, element of your business? Do you have kind of staff on the ground? How, how does that work? Absolutely. So we have, obviously, it's very important to have, you know, regional staff that speaks the regional language or, you know, at least Swahili. Um, so we have a classical, you'd call it call center, uh, with approximately 20 people um, full-time now in, in Arusha. And they will pick up the phone when people call and say, they will know who calls because we identify the customer with his mobile number. So you immediately see where the customer lives, what kind of system he has, so, you know, classical customer relationship management. And if there's a problem, we will actually, sometimes the database even tells us before the client notices. So if a battery is about to be empty, we get like a little alert from the database and we can even send a mobile technician to fix the problem before the customer realizes, which is, you know, that's superb customer service. And it's since it's not a rule, in rural Tanzania, Rwanda, Kenya, it, it just gives you an edge as a brand because people really enjoy being taken seriously as customers. So we have, yeah. you know, a very classical call center plus a team of maintenance technicians, as we call them, on the ground, which would service certain areas and, you know, that can be called and that can be dispatched to um, the next customer who needs help. And, and they're staff of Mobiso, are they? Yes, it is. So we train... Um, the people internally, we have a Mobisol Academy, um, which is basically our internal say, school or little university in which we have specific curricula for people who do sales, uh, installation, maintenance and whatnot. Um, so, you know, the, the, I think what our staff tells is the, there's a lot of NGOs and donor organizations that do training, but very little uh, provide a job. So the combination of you can have the training at Mobisol, and if you're good, we'll give you a job. That seems to be, you know, the the, the the point that people enjoy because there's not so many good and cool jobs in rural areas. And you know, since we grow very fast, we bring a lot of these jobs to you know the, the rural areas, which is also you know giving. It's not giving back. It's just work with the communities on the ground. You know, don't ship in white people to do sales in Tanzania. It doesn't make any sense work with the local people who know their villages and who know the, 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 the conditions on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so what does your what is your kind of business model look like, Thomas? I mean 
if you were to compare it to a traditional kind of solar solar business, say in Germany, uh, I, I just wonder how you're kind of making your money and, and, and able to kind of scale the business in a way that, uh, that that's going to you know have the impact you want to have. Um, so you know we're not an NGO. If we don't make money, we will not find investors and we will not scale. Hmm. So very clearly, well, we're not a profit maximizing company. You know, we not we don't do it for the money. We need to show that basically it's a profitable business. So the business one is very simple. It's a it's a rent to own. That's the logic or pay as you go if you want. Yeah. So we buy parts in China and Germany. We put them together. We ship them to Tanzania, Rwanda, and Kenya, and then we sell them on a monthly basis. After 36 months, the customer is becoming the owner of the system, which is very important in terms of you know the, the spread of ownership, and and we make a margin on you know the difference between the cost to us um, and the price to the customer, and still. We we are completely competitive and you know affordable when you look when you compare it to to traditional kerosene and and diesel um, schemes. So you know it's it's something that customers can afford without becoming poor or without whatnot. And you know after three years there's no payment anymore. After three years you get electricity for free basically, which is also much nicer than continuing to pay your kerosene dealer for the next ten or twenty years. Well, absolutely, or basically but- forever. I'm just wondering what what you charge for one solar panel. Is it the same as what you would charge a customer in Germany? Mm, that's, it's different because um, the the type of system size that we have specifically caters for the needs of a rural household in Tanzania. That that you know, it's, look at what you have in your house in the UK. Everybody in the UK and Germany seems to be using something around 10 kilowatt hours a day. That's the average of a normal family in Germany because we yeah. have a washing machine, uh, we have a hairdryer, we have this and that, and you know it just adds up to ten kilowatt hours. Sure. And because the needs are different, nobody cooks with electricity in in Tanzania. So what you yeah. need, the basic um, set is a TV, a radio, recharging mobile phone, lights, and a fan. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. If you can provide that, you're fine. So that's what we do, and save for about twenty dollars a month. We will bring that to the customer, so he pays twenty dollars a month or maybe five dollars a week, whatever you know is is good for him or her. And after two years, he is the proud owner of a movie store system. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And how how long do they lo- how long do they traditionally last these systems? Mm, so there is one part which technically will need to be replaced. It's a battery. Batteries don't last forever. So we think that after five years, that's our current guessing we've just been in operations for four years so we don't see many batteries you know at the end of their lifetime um, yeah. but we will replace the battery after five years <clears throat> electronics you know if you build them properly they don't fail and a solar panel is warranted for 20 to 25 years so you know a solar system works for 25 years in germany and there's no reason that i can think of that it shouldn't be the case in tanzania no. and again you know batteries every five years and the batteries on you know part of the equipment so when you compare that over, say, a period of 10 or 15 years, it's still so much cheaper and, and nicer than the options that people typically use today. And so, and so what's next for, for Mobisol? Because I, you know, I guess in terms of the potential impact you can have, um, even with 45,000 systems installed, I mean, you've, you've kind of barely scratched the surface, have you? Absolutely. So what's next for us is basically there's two, two vectors of growth, I mean, two ways that you can actually grow. One is go to new countries um, and new countries you know it's obviously Kenya because it's across the border from Tanzania it's obviously you know all these other countries in Africa it's countries like India 
where the need is very similar. And so that's one uh, area where we're trying to understand how can we grow maybe with partners. What is the type of organization in rural, say, India, that can help us with logistics, with sales, with maintenance? We don't need to do everything ourselves. So how can it maybe become a franchise model? How can you bring something which works perfectly well in certain countries to other countries where other people will be maybe as good or even better than will be sold at doing this type of thing, which is rural electrification? And the other thing is, and that's what we call Mobisol 2.0, our customers come back to us after they repay the system and say, hey, you know, you brought me lights and TV and radio, thank you very much, but what I really need is a lot of other things, things like insurance, things like uh, a loan, things like content, uh, connectivity, education. And in the beginning we said like, hmm, you know, it's not our core business to bring insurance. But we reconsidered and say, look, if our 45,000 and growing number of customers want insurance, well, yes, we will find a good insurer or micro-insurer to bring in the products these people want. And the same is valid for loans and content and so on. So we have an audience which trusts what we saw. So we will basically make sure that this trust, you know, is not not, um, jeopardized. And we will connect our customers with people bringing the rest of the products and services that families want to bring them what them themselves call best life, which is why the main claim of Mobisol is best life, you know, it's electricity plus the rest of services. And and that's, you know, it, it, it's so basic. It's, if you don't have any insurance, of course you will want health insurance. And if you can get your hands on it, if people have the money, um, then you will do that. So I think that's, that's what the future will will hold for us and and you know on a daily basis we enjoy doing that with our customers because you know we're not we're not telling some kind of, of thing that the world doesn't need it's really something where you make a difference in yeah. the life of people and i think that that's what 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 just motivates us and, and the spirit that it will be for pandemia one day kenya when you're on the ground it's really like it's not fun that wouldn't be the right word but it's it's people have some kind of a notion of a of a we're doing something which is important and and have a passion of delivering that on a daily basis, which makes yes. Mobisol such a such a cool place to work and for us and, and you know and and seems to be a very cool value proposition for the people and in rural areas. Well, it's, it's very exciting, and it'd be very interesting to see how you guys grow in the coming years. Thomas, before we let you go, please let our audience of listeners know where they can find out more about Mobisol and, and what you what you guys are up to. Um, so the best way to find out more is obviously the website, which has the name that I enjoy a lot. It's um, www.pluginintheworld.com, uh, okay. which is really, in a nutshell, the mission of, of Mobisol. And you mentioned it yourself. There's a couple of videos that you can look at on the website of Vimeo, uh, and if you type in Vimeo and plug in the world, you'll have access to, I think it's 15 videos by now. Right. Um, and two of those you mentioned um, early on. Wonderful. Thomas, it's a, it's a great story. Uh, you know, boosting access to, to power in, in, in parts of Africa, hugely important. Uh, and as you guys are proving, you know, the positive social impacts, let alone the environmental ones, which I know we've, we've kind of touched on. Uh, are so incredibly powerful and you guys are literally transforming lives through your through your services and your, your products and technologies and I love your story so thanks for sharing it with us thank you for the flowers Tom
Thomas Duvo there, Head of Business Development at Mobisol. Uh, so many great things about that business. And if they can crack the concept of making deliveries by drone, then I think the game changes again for them. But yeah, some amazing things they're doing. Really, really interesting interesting organization all of the details on mobisol and uh what it's up to some images are all online all in our show notes as ever uh head over to betterbusiness.show for that okay right it's time for a brief update on all the news across the world of sustainable business um let's find out who's doing what and why with vicky knowles welcome back vix how are you doing I'm not bad, Tom. How are you? I've heard you've not been so well. It's, no, I've been poorly this week, uh, but I'm on the mend, thank goodness. Thank you, um, thank goodness. Otherwise, your viewers wouldn't, or your listeners wouldn't have a podcast to listen to. Well, quite, in, indeed. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, back on my feet. Um, yeah, loads of stuff going on this week. Uh, also, lots of news. Uh, something that caught my eye, which I think I know that you, you noticed as well, was... Uh, a new report put together by Matt Yeomans, who runs uh, Sustainly, uh, something he calls a trends briefing. And he's looking at different TV shows aimed at kids and how companies have this amazing chance to get to, young, you know, get to youngsters and get them interested in kind of environmental sustainability issues. And he's basically making the point that if kids' media can be used to successfully kind of inform consumer culture and encourage kids to go and buy loads of plastic toys and sugary treats and all that sort of stuff uh, that kind of usually ties in with popular TV shows and films, um, then the, you know, the same could happen to turn them on to the good stuff. So, you know, instilling good ethical values and getting them to understand what it means to live a sustainable uh, lifestyle uh, and so he's got this report out which looks at a whole bunch of different TV shows and explores how they've traditionally kind of talked about sustainability issues so uh, there's things like The Simpsons in there which has been running for well so many years now but has had loads of storylines uh, around different environmental issues like water pollution and climate change uh, they had one episode where they visited uh, Springfield's Melting Glacier I don't really remember that one um, and then you've got characters like Lisa Simpson who offers this kind of consistent voice of reason and she's a, a constant champion of different environmental issues uh there's a moment in the simpsons movie i don't know if you saw that one vix uh but she delivers a speech entitled an irritating truth to to warn that the, the town of springfield about water pollution um and then there's 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 other kind of films he looks at in this report called like wally uh which is one of my absolute favorite disney uh films uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, for those of you who have not seen Wally, it's brilliant. It's it's set kind of uh, hundreds of years in the future, and you've got Wally, who's a robot, and he's the last inhabitant of of the planet, and that's basically been abandoned because there's too much rubbish and litter that's built up. Um, and it, yeah, it ends with with Wally meeting this bunch of ignorant humans on this spaceship, and he kind of encourages them to come back to Earth and tidy it up and and kind of reboot a, a new, more sustainable civilization. Um, I, I, yeah, I know you've looked at this report as well, Vix. What, what did you make of this? Um, so I have to confess, I looked at the article, but I didn't get as far as the report. But um, definitely those those examples you cited. You know, you don't. When I watched Wally, I can't remember what year it came out. I probably was like a teenager or something. You know, I wasn't really thinking about the bigger issues. I just thought it's a great, entertaining story. And hopefully that's kind of the first thing that appeals to people. And then these ideas kind of just get ingrained. And like, as Matt said in the article, um, 
you know, if renewable energy is portrayed as a norm, electric vehicles are seen as cool, strong female LGBT characters are to be rooted for, then kids won't really blink when they see these things in their lives. And for our generations, we're having to adjust to things that seem unusual. So like those ideas can be a bit, uh, even if we totally agree with them. Um, And it's just a great way to change attitudes of a culture, which can take years and years to do at scale. Yeah, exactly. And what they they do brilliantly, particularly things like The Simpsons, is that you know, it's all about the story, it's all about the character. But then if you can kind of weave in some some really interesting messages, then uh, then brilliant. Uh, it's well worth checking out. I mean, it doesn't go into a great deal of depth the the report, but it's it's worth having a look at just for uh, well, just to, for nostalgia's sake, I think it's it's well worth checking out. As I say, I'll, I'll put the link to the report in in today's show notes. So yeah, have a look. What else have we got going on? Yeah, okay, so also in the US, um, Kansas City is giving us a glimpse of 21st century urban life with its new streetcar. The two-mile transit line is part of an infrastructure overhaul that will supposedly cut energy costs, improve traffic safety, and increase access to public services and events. Um, This is according to an article on Huffington Post. So it's a pretty smart system, like the lights along the line dim if there isn't anyone waiting for the streetcar, and kiosks installed at streetcar stops show the arrival of the next trolley, and also information on like the city's restaurants, concerts, and sports games. And apparently, it's also kind of becoming like a hangout spot, so you like meet by the kiosks. So it's kind of really integrating into like what people do and where people meet. Um, so in the future, the sensors along the line could apparently also help drivers find available parking spaces. Um, they're looking into developing an app for that and could also help manage wastewater and stormwater runoff as well. Oh, and there'll be a public Wi-Fi network spanning nearly three square miles of downtown. So connectivity is the name of the game, definitely. Yeah, I'd be yeah. interested to see how many people actually use it. I mean, I spent some time in the States and I did a, a sort of road trip between uh, the, the, the west and east coast and uh, it's you. staggering. Yeah, and you, and you go to some of the, the cities in the, in the right in the middle of the, of the US and it's... Well, it's just—it's worrying how few people actually walk or, or take public transport, and uh, and yeah, you know, I feel for anybody working on sustainable city schemes in some parts of the U.S. because it must just be such an uphill struggle against that kind of legacy of such kind of you know car-centric development over the last hundred years or so. Uh, it must just make things really tough. Yeah, it's it's so big over there. You forget if if you live in the UK. You know, what a city is to you here is just completely on another level over there. And apparently, if you, you're seen walking along in, in certain parts of the US, people actually slow down and stop and say, you're right, you know, why, why, why aren't you driving? Like, is your car broken down or something? Um, but I went to Zurich a couple of years ago on holiday, and I absolutely love the tram system. And I think we, there's like one in Nottingham here, I think there's probably some in other cities, but um, I think, I just think they're great systems. They, they're just efficient. They're easy. They just make things better. Yeah, and also, I mean, this story is a good example of, of you know, that kind of as you said, the internet and smartphone connected systems making it a lot more snazzy and attractive for youngsters to actually, you know, get out of cars, use public transport, uh, and just do something different. And uh, yeah, I mean, if if this kind of works, then other cities, no doubt, will pick it up and 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 do something similar in their in their home as well. Last year, Mars announced that its US operations were going to be powered by wind, and now they're doing the same for their UK plants. 
So it's buying its wind power from a 60 megawatt farm near Inverness um, to power all 12 of its UK sites. That is enough electricity to power 34,000 average size UK homes. Or as Mars likes to say, it's enough power to fill 166 Olympic sized pools with Maltesers, make 80 billion <laughs> pellets of Wrigley's extra gum, or make 2.3 billion servings of Uncle Ben's rice. Um, so joining its Texas farm, Mars is now powering 82 miles facilities with wind. This is part of its commitment to reach zero greenhouse gas emissions from its global operations by 2040. So, good step. If you can get it right, it's such a great story, you know, to say as a business, oh, we're powering all of our processes using nothing but clean energy, or, you know, we're making your Mars bar using nothing but, but green energy. Uh, and we're going to see more and more commitments from companies, you know, whether they're privately held, which is what Mars is, or whether they're publicly held, uh, more and more commitments without doubt and uh and they and you know they they really encourage companies to really innovate and find ways of, of actually achieving their commitments and um i know the mars one was a, was a partnership with with was it an eco uh one of the big energy companies so i think that you know that's that's certainly going to play a role as well yeah exactly and it's such a strong message when it's from sort of the big firms and they you know they're obviously doing it because you know, it's good for business so uh it's I think it's just you know everyone's going to do it soon it's just you know we're going to run out of fossil fuels there's no other choice really yeah no sorry and, and the narrative around the the renewable energy and particularly in the UK is an absolute you know political disaster uh getting getting schemes off the ground is becoming harder but I guess you know these types of deals prove that there are ways of of big business you know uh, sort of sidestepping some of the, the problems that, that traditional kind of energy players might have and, and, and get things off the ground. So it's a, it's a good example, yeah. So Vix, I think to wrap, thing, wrap things up this week, I wanted to, to do a little quiz with you. Uh, oh yeah, and it's something I picked up on in The Guardian last week and it's off the back of the news that Amazon uh, is about to launch a load of new brands with what appears to be more kind of, how do we say, huggable, approachable brand names. Things like Happy Belly, Mama Bear. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and, and the piece was actually saying there's loads of examples out there of big corporates that have kind of launched subsidiaries or brands um, that kind of, you know, try to be as, as, as the same sort of kind of have the same sort of ethics and values as genuine independent startups um, which you know can have a more decent sustainability story so I thought we could play a quiz uh, I give you a brand name and you tell me if it's a a lovable genuine startup brand or b a slightly fake corporate imitation brand oh okay sound good good test this sounds good okay so first okay. one is tea pigs an upmarket yeah. tea in biodegradable bags, eco-friendly and homespun. Tea pigs, lovable or slightly fake corporate imitation? Oh, I'm going to say lovable. It, well, no, it's a slightly fake corporate imitation yeah. brand. Uh, tea pigs actually started as a subsidiary of Tetley's, which is owned by the Tata Group, which is a massive multinational uh, with interest in airlines and telecoms and healthcare and defence. So, no, no, not a lovable startup brand at all. Uh, what about this one, Rapa Nui, the ethical T-shirt business? Oh, they're a startup. Yeah, spot love on. Love, you yeah, love them. I do. Yeah, Isle of Wight based here in the UK, uh, famed for their ethical range of T-shirts and uh, solid supply chain story. I definitely want to get those guys on the show soon. So um, we'll, we'll definitely try and do that. Uh, okay, uh, next one. Boswell Farms, purveyors of quality farm-reared beef. Oh, 
Is, this isn't like a Tesco brand, is it? Spot on, spot oh, on. Yeah. And they sound really, really um, English or something, but they're not. It's well, well, Tesco brand name, but no such farm. Oh, it's completely made up. It's made up. It sounds adorable. Yeah, 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 it does. Uh, Okay, next, innocent smoothies. Everybody's favourite juice maker. (laughs) They are the best, but they're owned by Coca Cola, aren't they? They are. So yeah, a mix founded by Richard Reed and his his fellow Cambridge University fellow uh, sort of mates. Um, yeah, had loads of great success, but then they did. They sold out to, to Coca Cola. I guess it's their example of a kind of a, a bit of both, really. Um, yeah. But you know, not not the first to kind of sell out to a, to a massive global business. Uh, but yeah, Coca Cola fancying a piece of this kind of lovable cutesy brand uh, <laughs> happened a lot. Most famously, Body Shop selling out to L'Oreal, of course. That's uh, what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about this one, Betty Crocker, the well-known housewife and radio personality? Who became the face of a range of cakes and cake oh, I, mixes? She's that's surely a corporate thing. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, completely fictional character. First, really? Yeah, yeah. First created by the Washburn Crosby Company, which was the predecessor to General Mills, which is the huge Ooh. food company. Uh, okay, so one more. One more. Uh, what about Loch Moor, the the remote Scottish lake where the salmon swim happy and free? Oh no! The, the way you're saying that sounds like it's some sort of corporate thing. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely slightly fake corporate imitation brand. It's a trademark used to market Marks and Spencer's salmon, uh, and it actually comes from farms all across Scotland, but not Lochmuir, uh, not Lochmuir, because there's no such place. Misleading. There we go. That's been had. I know. Yeah, keep an eye out for more of those, and perhaps we can get our listeners to send us some more of uh, brands that are not quite what they seem to be. Okay, that's it for another week. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud or any other places that you can grab your podcasts uh, and you won't miss an episode. Reminder quickly to give us your email address uh, at betterbusiness.show. Just scroll down beneath all of our list of our episodes uh, and give us your email address and you'll start getting our weekly newsletters and you won't miss out on that cheat sheet that I mentioned earlier on in the show. Um, We'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye.